Welcome to the Mode Knit Yarn Podcast. In each episode, Annie Modisette, that's me, or Kathleen Pescuzzi, my partner, or both of us will chat with some cool person from the knitting world, someone you may have heard of, or perhaps just someone down the street who we think you'd enjoy meeting. Episode 13 is a lovely, lovely visit with Amy Detchen. How Amy and I aren't related is a mystery to me. She feels like a long-lost cousin, which is probably why she's one of the best-loved and most favorite teachers around. Amy and I discuss a world of stuff, much of it having no relation to fiber or knitting, but we certainly have a lovely, fun visit. Apparently, we're living parallel lives with our Ancestry.com and Instant Pot adventures. We discuss world events, climate change, genealogy, politics, feeling overwhelmed in a complex world. Together, Amy and I, and all of you, could probably change the world if we take the time away from our knitting. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm Amy Dachin, and you're not. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, well, you know, somebody's got to be Amy Dachin, right? Might as well be me. Somebody has to be Amy Dachin. I say Dechen, and that's wrong. I don't I need care. to say Dechen. It does not bother me a bit. I well, am not one of those people who cares. Everyone always says mode sit for me, so I don't care. Mode it's, sit? It's mode sit. M-O-D-E-S-I-T. You know what? It's kind of a made-up name, because the best we could figure is that sometime in the 1680s, it seems that three brothers came from England. You've been here a long time. Um, some of the family has been here a long time. Some of the family has only been here since like the 1780s or so. We're just, you know, we're pikers is what we are. <laughs> but apparently Modisette was Mothershed. But in England they don't pronounce the H's when they say Mothershed. They say Mothersed. So that became Modisette. Oh. That's the theory. Well, my five great-grandfather was named Claudius Boatman. And he was, he didn't, he didn't write. He was a Huguenot. And so he was taken from his mother when he was seven and put to work. Mm-hmm. And then came to America when he was 17. And um, so, originally, when he was in the infantry for the Revolutionary War, it, his, they had his name as Glaude. Glaude? Because, G-L-A-U-D, because he, they, he probably had a really thick accent. He's a yeah. Glaude Bootman. So oh. we don't know if it's Boatman or Budeman, or nobody oh. knows how to spell. So some of our relatives Crazy. are Bowman. I mean, they just decided that he must have meant Bowman, and they they made it Bowman, and yeah. And they don't really know where he came, like his came from France. That's as far as anybody knows. He wow. was French and taken from his mother when he was seven, and nobody knows anything more. And what year was that? When was that? Uh, he came over in seventeen forty nine. Seventeen forty nine. That's pretty cool. I am totally obsessed by genealogy. Me too. Me too. Oh, totally. God. Oh my God. Do you do the Ancestry.com? I do Ancestry <laughs> and I do um, Family Search yep. and I do Find a Grave. And, yep. yep. Oh, I love Find a Grave. Find they, a Grave is really useful. It's amazing. I like have so many family members on Find a Grave. Yeah. You know, people I... Because the graves that need to be found to find my people are way back in the hills and hollers in West Virginia and they're hard to find. So if they can find that grave... They good props for them. Yeah, so, no kidding. So we, uh, I, I'm heavily into the genealogy because I enjoy it, and um, I did the uh, the uh, what is it the DNA thing? Mm-hmm. Have you done that? I did it. I haven't gotten the results yet. Oh my god, you're kidding! I just oh sent my it god. in like at the end of January. Oh my god, my husband just sent his in at the end of January too. So we're waiting for his results because yeah. I got him that for Christmas. Oh nice. Oh my goodness. I'm so, well, I'll have you know that I am two percent uh, Central Asian. Okay. Yeah. So 2%, that's got to be what, like 8 
nine generations back? I, I pretty much think anyone who's Caucasian has some Central Asian from the Caucasus. Probably. You know, I think just as you're coming up that way, yeah. pick a little bit up, maybe. Well, it's so funny because, I, you know, I, I'm on Ancestry, and I do it on my iPad, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, Henrietta Cruz, and oh, she had three sisters, and oh, I wonder if they had any brothers, and then you search and search, and all of a sudden you look up at the top and it says, you know, relation to you, and it's like, great-grandfather's uncle of yours third cousin's mother's brother-in-law. Twice know. removed. Why, why, why am I searching this person again? Because you know? it's so, because, because you love history. So and it's so fast, and it's like putting a human face on history. No, and then you'll find somebody with two different wives, and you're like, what did one die? And then you have to, you can't go to bed until you find out why. Who died? Yeah. And then there's all these kids, and yeah. you have to like go through the, the, <laughs> exactly. the ages and figure out which one belonged to which mom. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's so funny. Oh my God. And then you get, you find an error, and you're like, oh, but so Thomas Boatman, there were four, I found four of them so far, and it's like great-grandfather, grandfather, father, and then nephew. So, I mean, it veered off my line oh, into, yeah. but, or, or still a son, but not in my direct line. But right, three right. three of them in my direct line. And, then, and it's like, you have to go by their birth date. You can't, because they're all, and then two of them named, married women named Mary. And of course, all of them also had a son named Thomas. So you're like, oh, come on, you guys, you're making this so hard for me. With us, it's James and Charles. James and Charles. Charles and James. James and Charles. James and Charles. Yep. Because totally from Scotland. Yeah. So they're loving the James and they're loving the Charles. Yep. And so it's really hard. The most exciting thing, though, is that I, through the um, um, Cunninghams on my father's side, through the Cunninghams, which are easy to trace because they're really well documented. And so we went back and back and back, and I am related to Margaret, um, shoot, what's her name? Margaret, I can't think of her name, but she was the daughter of Henry VIII's sister. So That is very cool. Uh, yeah, I touch me, baby. I'm full Plantagenet. I'm 2% Central Asian and 98% <laughs> Plantagenet. No, I'm not. I'm... I'm a ton of Scots and a ton of Irish and a little bit of Scandinavian. That seems to be my makeup. Well, I'm lots and lots of German, but mm -hmm. also English and French and nothing so far. I haven't found too much exotic. One of the really Except funny things... Except for the purple hair. Well, yeah, exotic. the purple hair does run in the family. <laughs> um, the, uh, so we had this uh, great-grandparents who came from Sweden. Nice. And, um, and it's Eskild and Emma and Samuelson, which means father's name was Samuel. I yeah. mean, it was that long ago that that's yeah. literally how they named people. Yep. And, um, but I found them and found that Emma had only been in Sweden for a year. She was actually from Norway. And I'm not kidding. It's this ripple through my family of this news. Skandal. It was hilarious. Like, Skandal. Norwegian. We don't have Norwegian in us. We're we Scandinavian. They're Sweden, Norwegians. You know? So funny. Thank God she wasn't Danish. But, I know, right? <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, my mother was obsessed by genealogy in the 60s and 70s, yeah. which means she wrote a million letters. Yeah. She typed letters and mailed them to people because there were no archives. No. You had to no. come to Utah to get yes, the archives. You exactly. Know? And um, so, my, unbeknownst to me, my sister, my older sister Claudia, kept six huge boxes, like like huge bins, knee high bins, of my mother's research. And so I told her that I'd kind of gotten bitten by this bug, yeah, and I was yeah, there yeah. for Christmas. And she goes, "Oh, Jim, don't you have something you want to put in Amy's car?" And I brought home four hundred pounds of family history. That's like a that's like a member of my family. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, so I'm having the best time. You know, I pick one folder and I just go through it and make see if it matches what's on Ancestry. And oh, that is so great! I know it's. I'm just having the best time. And what's funny is my sisters are both like turning a blind. Eye. They hate me now. They're like our our whole childhood. All our mother did was prattle on about the McSpaddens and the Boatmans oh. and the and the Clarks and the. And now I'm doing it. I mean, they'll call but me. It's and so like, fascinating. It is to me, and it's not to them. They're like, who cares? You know, they're dead. They're long dead. And I'm like, you can, oh, I'm so into it. Talk to me about it all day long. I don't care. <laughs> What's the best story you found so far? Well, okay, so uh, so I've got all these senses, and my, my grandfather was a Giles, and he was born in England, and emigrated to the U.S. when he was four, 14 or 16 with his older brother. And so we knew a lot about Thomas. His name is Frederick. We knew a lot about Thomas and Frederick. But then I went back and found censuses. They had other brothers, other siblings that never left England. Oh, my God. I know. And it's like, why did some leave and some not? And then my sister the other day says, well, what about Florence? And I'm like, no, I didn't find any Florence. She goes, well, don't you remember the story about Florence? Here I am. Look, I'm, I'm on tape. I'm being recorded with this, fan, this scandalous family story. You don't have to. I could cut this out. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'm just being funny. Okay, let's hear about um, the scandal. So, uh, so I look up Florence. Well, Florence did not live with the family after she was 14. She either must have gone to boarding school or something, but then I found her again. On, and it's a page. I have to, I have to find the actual resource to find right. because it's a page of the census, like 1891, right, right. that is all um, bookkeeper, 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 servant, servant, ladies maid, ladies maid, houseman, houseman, groom, groom, groom. It's, so it's all servants right. in Wales for right. some wealthy big, big house. Big house. Like, yeah. But it's the, it's the second or third page, so I don't know that, what house it was. I have to go find the records to find out who the right, owner. Right, right, yeah. But, but she never married, but she had a child, and which I cannot find any record of, but this was the family story, and he was the illegitimate son of Lord Montbotan. Really? Well, that's the family lore. I don't know if it's true or not. So I go searching Lord Montbatan, and he was a horrible, horrible man. He was a pedophile, and he was, I mean, he was just horrible. And I haven't found any actual link to him yet, but, you know, it's just interesting to see, you know, this yeah. This is a family story about mm. Great Aunt Florence. That's and, exciting. Well, so yeah. how is she related to you? She was my grandfather's sister. Your grandfather's sister, who disappeared from the face of the earth. Apparently was a servant in Wales. Yeah, and then moved to Wisconsin. If it's the same Mary, if it's the same Francis Mary Giles. That Wales to Wisconsin line. What? Yeah, I know, right? I, does that happen a lot? Or I don't what? know, I don't but, know. but we, I found records of her in Wisconsin. Of the, I yeah. mean, born in the same area of England and born in the same year. So right. assuming it's the same one. Right. But I still can't find any information about the... And apparently she reared her child. She kept... I mean, he really? lived with her. Really? So somehow I've got to be able to find some records you of something to. back you in like 1910 to. or... Yeah. I know, it's so fun. Oh it's, and it's, it's one of those things I have to set a timer. Like, I, me because too. I'll forget to go to work or, you yes. know, feed the dogs or... I will sit up in bed with Jerry next to me. I will sit there with my computer and it'll be two in the morning and he's like, honey... Have you thought about putting away the ancestry? Yeah. No, it's so funny because I don't know that many other people who are into it that are our age, but, oh, I'm having well, the best time. I was explaining, because my business partner, Kathleen, is thinking of starting to kind of look up her stuff and all that, and what I was explaining to her that I do is, I first, when I joined up, I like was a member for like six months or so, and I really did a ton of research and put stuff in that I knew and all that, and then once you're a member, you're... you're family trees stay and all that but you don't have to be a paying member 
So like every six months or so, I'll pay for another month, and then I can go on and look at all the documents and all that. Right. But I still have all the stuff there. So I started doing it for my um, my husband's family. You know, his mother was visiting us recently for Max's graduation. So I pumped her as much as I could to get information on aunts and grandmas and right. uncles and whatever. Um, she doesn't remember a lot. She's 90. I mean, I shouldn't say that. She remembers a lot. But there's only so much one person right. has. And it's really hard because his family is, like, she was second generation, you know, Jewish from Brooklyn. And so after you go pack, back a certain ways, you don't know if you're looking in Poland. You don't know if you're looking in Russia because Russia was Poland. and you know, it's, Yeah, well, it's, you know, Prussia. A lot of my relatives came from Prussia. And you're like, wait a minute. Where is that now? I mean, what, what's right. the name of the village? Because exactly. the country changed. Yes, exactly. So we've probably gone as far as we can until we connect with someone who is a Polish and Russian speaker. Because oh. there's only so much you can do. But still, Jerry felt good about that, that we'd done that. That's very cool. It is. It is. And his mother's family, most of them were from Austria, actually, which is very interesting. The, the Wieners. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. The Wieners was my father's family. My mother's family, my, his, his father's family, his mother's family were the Ginnigers. Ginniger, that's Ginniger, a like name. vinegar. Isn't that great? Yeah. I love that name. So. Well, I my only Scottish ancestry that I've found so far, I really want to be Scottish, oh. is McSpadden. And okay. there's no, there's not a lot, there are very few McSpaddens that are extant in Scotland. Like if you look them up and there's, they don't have a tartan. They, you know, they were part of a larger clan, and, you know, right. so it's like, oh, I just, I need to do some more research into the McSpaddens. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I know there's the Cunninghams, there's also a couple other Scottish branches, and then there's a branch from my grand, my mother's side that's Welsh. Not much English at no. all. And the Irish seems to be, the family moved from Scotland to Ireland in the 1500s, and then in the 1700s moved from Ireland to America. So that's, we were there, it was Northern Ireland, it was in Ulster, and it was, uh, we went to Ireland uh, a couple of years ago, I took the family, we were there for a month, and we visited this place, it's an amazing, amazing historical park, it's called the uh, Irish American Park, <laughs> or something, I know, Ooh, it's really helpful, name. I know, um, but what it is, is you can go through and see what life was like in Ireland in the 15 to like the 1700s. They have the houses and, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's just wonderful. And then the coolest part is you walk into this place. It's like a city and it's supposed to be, you know, Belfast or someplace. And you go onto a ship and it's a ship from the period. You can look at It's really cool. And you go off the ship and you're in an area that is like Virginia <coughs> because so many Scottish, uh, uh, Irish and Scottish people took that route from Scotland to Ireland, from Ireland to the Virginias or the Carolinas. It was very common. And so they have all these trees that are native to Virginia and homes that were like Virginian homes from, you know, the 1600s, 1700s. It, it, I was like crying. It oh, was, that's It really wonderful. touched me. It was really wonderful. Well, last time I was in Ireland, we toured one of the tall ships. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, a, it's a re recreation, but it's very authentic. And, oh, my goodness, how those people survived. Uh, and and the illness and the and the cram I mean I I just it 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 stuns you to yes. think this was not that long ago in right. the history of our world. No, exactly. When I have moments that I feel very bad about the way the Earth is going, and sometimes I feel very bad about that, I stop and I think about how far we've come, just in a lot, even in the last hundred years, 
how many more rights women have and how much more open we are to different schools of thought and that sort of thing. And it gives me a little bit of solace, but it's, it's difficult. It is. I'm one of those people, too. I'm kind of an empath. So when, when the it, world is in, in crisis and chaos, I, it affects me very strongly. I agree. And um, I always tell any place that I work, if, you know, if everybody is unhappy, look at me, because I will be unhappy. I will be the, the mirror of the unhappiness. And if everybody's doing really well here, I will be the mirror. I will be the, a class clown and the mirror of the happiness yeah. that is going on here. Yeah. I'm, I'm like a barometer, and I, I'm very, very worried as well about the world and our country and not just politics, but also pollution and what we're doing oh, to the oceans. Exactly. And, and the, I, it's... I, Cooler heads have got to prevail. I mean, there's got to be some sort of revolution to care about our planet because we have nowhere else to go. Exactly. And it's not us. It's our children and nieces and nephews and grandchildren. I mean, exactly. it's not us. But And, and we, we can't be callous about it because it's not us. No, no, we can't. And I um, I tweet about it. I write about it. I, I, I'm active in a couple of different organizations, about, especially about global warming and environmental and and my daughter is, is doing that. I'm so proud of her. Last summer, she spent the summer raising money uh, for research to save the bees for Environment Minnesota. She canvassed. Well, and, and what are we going to do without bees? Seriously. Hello? Seriously. Our food supply will end. Yeah. It's, and, and, and so I think she's going to do that again this summer. But I get uh, uh, very overwhelmed. Very overwhelmed. I feel like we are on the edge of a revolution. And... I read something very funny the other day, and it was saying, it's as if we're all on a bus, and a crazy drunk guy is driving, but 27% of the people think he's doing okay, so we're, we're just going to let him keep going. <laughs> well, I I don't know. It's it's so terrifying that that is almost 100% accurate. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I every once in a while I think, well, you know, this can't last forever. It's a pendulum the pendulum has swung to one side. It will swing back. Things will ha be better. And then I read an article that says, you know, don't be fooled by the fact that don't don't sit back and think, oh, somebody will take care of this. This, right. this he'll implode. He may just go the other way. He may not implode. He may get more people on board, and we may be looking at the Third Reich again. I mean, it's it's possible. It's, yeah. it's, it's it is. So, it's so terrifying. It that is. We all assume that somebody else is going to fix it, and somebody else can fix it, and, and time will tell. And right. We're, I don't, you know, not that I have any ideas what to do about it. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an assassin. I'm not anybody who's going to do no, anything no. You know, yeah. drastic. Exactly. But, no, I, but I don't know what to do. We I'm, need to pool ideas. That's how we've always thrived as a, as a, as a species. Right. You know, pooling ideas and letting the best rise, and that's not happening now. And I don't, I don't, um, at, for any moment, think that complacency is the same thing as optimism. I think you can be very aware of what's there and be fearful and also be optimistic. Because otherwise, you just can't put one foot in front of the no, other. No, that's, that's true. You get you overwhelmed know? and then you stop functioning. And, exactly. And I don't know about and you, but I've suffered from depression many, many yes. years of my life, and I'm completely what I consider in remission because it yeah. is a horrible, it's a disease, yeah. and I've it overcome is. it. I've really done well, but yeah. and I've been in weekly therapy for 17 years, yeah. you know? I mean, I work really hard yeah. to keep myself not fall, not close to the edge. Yes. And... Um, but, yeah, so getting overwhelmed is something that I know. If I get too overwhelmed, it'll take me years to recover. So yes. I have to really fight it. Yes. And uh, it's, 
I, I know many, many, many people who are, are in the same boat as we are, feeling, you know, like we're one step away from something really well, bad happening. I, th- I think we're more like ten steps away, and I think, I'm, I'm just optimistic, I'm hopeful. And I have no idea why I am, but the day before, of all things, the day before the um, inauguration, I just woke up with this feeling of hope that, you know what, this is going to suck and we're going to get through it. And it's not going to be as bad as the worst. Well, and, you know, you you have to look at some of the really positive things that have come out of this new regime. One of them is social activism. I mean, so many people have been awakened um, to their role in this. And now, I mean, we are all writing our senators and our representatives, and we're involved, and we're going to town halls. and, And I'm kind of politically active, but I never went to a town hall in my entire life. Yeah. Until now, yep. and um, you know, it's 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 important. Who's to, your representative of where you live? Um, for Mark Pocan, uh-huh. who is openly gay, and Tammy Baldwin also wow. openly gay. Wow. But Wisconsin is so anti uh-huh. anti rights of anybody who's not Christian heterosexual family. Whites, exactly. That that I I mean I'm afraid for those for for people like that who are trying to fight the good fight for us and if they get voted out of office, you know, we're just like what are we going to do? I know. But we've we've really got to take back Wisconsin has always been a bunch of bleeding heart liberals and now we've got these wackos. And we in Minnesota are terrified. We just look at you guys and go, what is going to happen? Right. But you've got Amy Klobuchar. We and have Al Amy Klobuchar and Al Franken and we have great people and my own rep is wonderful. And we have Keith, Al- Keith Ellison. He's not my rep. He's in Minneapolis. But Keith um, Ellison is a, a force. He's a force. But Betty McCollum is my rep. We we have great people. We have great people. And it's just hard work. Nothing happens overnight. And I think what happens is we're seeing a big overreach from maybe someone who saw a little bit too many movies who thinks that this is how politics works. But politics is a slow-moving vehicle. It is. And... And that we proved that today. Today is the day, for those yeah. of you listening. Yes. Today is the day that they decided they're not even going to try and vote on the American Health Care Act because they don't have the votes. They don't have a chance in hell. That's quite a victory because Paul Ryan said if it's now or never. So, yeah. And I think, I think what they have done is a huge favor because I believe they have actually paved the way for an open discussion of single payer. I, I really do. If... From your lips to God's ears. That's right. I think um, <laughs> sing- And, you know, the one thing that we do have to worry about with single payer is yeah. think of the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people whose job it is is to make sure insurance doesn't cover you. Yes. I mean, so first of all, there's all the people who work in the hospital that have to jump through all the hoops to code everything just perfectly so your insurance yeah. will pay. Then there's all the people in the insurance company to accept those and try and find the loopholes to make sure they don't have to pay. Right. And, I mean, all those people are going to be out of work. Oh, we'll find something for them. Well, I think we could put them to work doing something productive Wouldn't it be nice and if, meaningful. We, if we had a lot of, if we increased how many teachers we have? And so that our classes were like 30 kids? And why are teachers not paid like professional basketball players. You Their know jobs are 700 million times more important than athletes. I, I'd be happy if teachers were paid. I think teachers and police officers and firefighters, civil servants, should be paid at the same level as the median executive income in an area. You know, so if executives make between two hundred and eight hundred thousand dollars a year, I think in the middle of that is where we should and, put our and teachers. And think about it. <laughs> teachers... Police, firefighters, who else? I mean, they are on the front lines of our civilization. Yeah. They are the first responders to, 
they're raising our kids. The teachers are yep. raising our kids. Yep. And they're educating them, and they're 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 giving them enthusiasm and hope and a love of learning and a love of. I mean, I I speak a little bit from experience. My niece is a fourth grade. Um, teacher at a science and technology immersion school Wonderful. in um, not Chaska, but one of the western suburbs of Minneapolis. Nice. And nice. Um, she is one of the reasons that I will end up in Minneapolis when I'm ready to. I, oh. My day job is the thing that keeps me in Madison, my yeah, job yeah, at yeah. Circus. Other yeah. than that, I'd be back in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Because oh. my family's there. My nephew and his wife are expecting a baby. My and God. my sister and her husband live there. Oh, that's the best. I know. Oh, I'm so happy for you. I know. How are um, they doing? Great. Is it her first? Yep. Oh. And so Patrick, my youngest nephew, um, was uh, he went to he went to school in America, but he did like a a year in South America, and then he decided he wanted to go. Leave. When he got his degree, he went to live in Russia. Oh my god! And taught English as a second language to the children of diplomats, basically. Oh my! Oh my goodness! And fell in love with his boss, who was ten minutes older than him. You know, twenty. Right, right, right. He was twenty-five. She was twenty-seven yeah. or something. And uh, who's a? She's from Belarus. Okay. So again, her family. You know, the family of four. She's got a sister, and they lived in a one one room apartment with a little tiny thing. And they got when the children were born, they were issued clothing for the child. The child. Two outfits, one to wear and one to wash, and they lived. They were, you know, subject to the state. I mean, oh Belarus has always has been, uh, and so now she's uh. here, and she's an executive in a travel company, and they're having a baby, and they're just oh, they're and she's, she must be in heaven. She is, and she's just the smartest, most wonderful, loving woman, and oh. she takes very good care of my nephew. So I'm very happy to have her as part of my family. Oh, and yeah. uh, and very excited about them having a tiny, and it's we know it's a girl. I don't know if I should oh, say so that. Happy. It's a girl. Yeah, oh, I, I do. I well, I love boys too. And then my other nephew. If you um, said it was a boy, I'd say the same thing. I know, right? I'm so happy. I know. I'm so happy. I it's know. a baby. It's a baby. Exactly. Um, my other nephew went to grad school in Germany and married a German woman and lives in Dusseldorf. And they have a six-year-old, and I only get to see him once or twice a year, which oh. is really a lot when you live that far apart. But I go yeah. there once a year, and they come home That's once a sad, year. That's sad, though. You want more. You want more. Yeah. Well, and thank goodness for like Skype and Viber. I mean, you can keep in touch. Yeah. You can, and, and James, my little great nephew. I mean, you can read him a story over Skype and show him the pictures, and then read the words and show him the pictures. You know. So he's he's very very dear to my heart too. So we are right now experiencing a bit of that. Our daughter is in New Zealand right now studying environmental science, and so we call her. We try to Skype with her, but the Wi-Fi where she is isn't great because she's doing like a lot of backpacking and hiking and stuff. We Skype with our son. He's up at University of Minnesota Morris. Oh, Morris! And he's loving it. Really? Yes, he loves it. He went to a science uh, math and science magnet. In St. Paul. Oh, What really? used to be Arlington High. Yeah. Now it's Washington Tech. And he loved it. Yeah. He loved wonderful. it. Yeah, it was the best. It was the best. So we we are huge Minnesota boosters. We feel like it's the best decision move there. Well, if it weren't for my day job. And Stephen B. and his manager, Melissa, have said, anytime you want to move to the cities. But they would actually make me work for money. Oh, that's a shame. I know. And at Knit Circus, I just, I just have fun. I am the special projects manager. Okay, what does that mean? I do whatever the hell I want. Excuse my language. <laughs> I do whatever I, I want that. all day. Work. You know, like one day I'll say, 
you know, uh, somebody needs to run a report and see what our best-selling colors were for the last six months. So yeah. I run a report and I organize it and put it in a spreadsheet. And then one day we'll say, oh, we got a new bookshelf. Amy, get out your screwdriver. And I go and put together the bookshelf. Oh, yay. And then... Um, we that have sounds these, like a lot what I do. Yeah. Well, it's, I'm Jill of all trades, master of none, trust me. But then we have these like pinwheel winders to wind balls into skeins uh-huh. with a skein minder and everything. And right. So, you know, I, I do some machinery and I, oh, we need a new doorbell. And I go to get the doorbell and put it in. So I just, I just kind of look around, see what needs to be done. And lately I've actually been doing production work because... Um, we keep hiring these fantastic, wonderful young women dyers who then go off to New York to go to FIT. Well, we've we, lost two to FIT. We just lost our, uh, our my assistant. She's gone off to Alaska to, to do social work. Oh, my gosh. Goddamn do-gooder. I know, right? <laughs> she's such a wonderful person, Becca. She's lovely. And she she actually was the leader of the trip when my daughter was canoeing through the Canadian Arctic a couple of years ago. She was the group leader. Canoeing through the Canadian Arctic? That doesn't sound like fun at all. Goodness It's in gracious. the summer. I, apparently they loved it and they had a good time, even bugs notwithstanding. So we just have hired another young woman. And this one is, I think she's a sophomore or junior in college at the U. So hopefully she'll be around but I hate it when we lose them like that. I know. Oh, my goodness. I know. Just, just get them trained, and off yeah, they go. So I am, I am the chief ball winder. You know, we, we, oh, we send our yarn out in cakes all around for you. Right, right, they right. Lo- I mean, gra- they you sell see, so much better. Well, gradients in a skein look like barf. I mean, gradients they just don't in look- a skein are useless. They are. It's ridiculous. And um, so, you know, we have these big automatic ball winders, and I'm also yeah. in charge of maintaining those. And, Which you know, do, you, do you use? Nancy's we use Nancy's knickknacks. Right. And, but we had an older one that, I'm not kidding, I fought with that thing all the time, and I finally boxed it up and sent it back and said, repair every, replace everything on here that needs to be replaced to make this thing work like clockwork, and it came back working really well. So I think we just had one that that was really out of adjustment or had a yeah. cracked wooden piece or something. Right. Because they're very beautiful. And they yeah. come with motor. You can buy motors. Yes. And now, I've become pretty adept at taking all of them apart, cleaning them, and putting them all back together. I'm, yes. I'm the, I, I actually just took apart our Swift the other day, our, our electric Swift, and took it all apart and redid everything. And I figured out, like, where the magnet goes because that fell out for a minute. Oh, no, that's terrifying. Oh, no, the magnet is the magic part. <laughs> no, and every once in a while I'll take a machine apart and I'll think, dang, why didn't I take a picture before I pulled that last thing out? <laughs> yes, you know? oh, exactly. Exactly. But, you know, it's so great because there's so many, you know, owner's manuals online and YouTube videos on how to put things back together. It's We live in such an amazing time. Amazing. Amazing. I, seriously, if I were a young woman now, I'd probably <laughs> go into engineering. Because I have discovered how much I love that kind of thing. And I didn't think I was smart enough to do anything like that. And I would have been a doctor if I had thought I was smart enough. Because yeah. I, I, I love the sciences, which I didn't know until a couple years into college. Yep. Because in high school, I hated it. I yep. wasn't good at it. And I was kind of slow and stupid. I mean, I was one of those people that really blossomed at about 18. Yeah. So high school was bad for me. Yeah. And it was just, I was not bright. I was... Well, don't say that. Because it well, wasn't that you weren't bright. You just hadn't... I haven't found myself. You said you hadn't blossomed yet. And goodness have I found myself now. (laughs) I am nothing if not my own person. What I tell my daughter, what I like to think is, you know, even from our youngest age, everything that is possible we have within us. And it's just a matter of finding out how to expose the side you want to expose to people. You know, show them the side you want to show them. Open the side of yourself up that needs to be opened. And when people talk about changing, 
I don't think it's that they've changed so much as they've just learned how to really accentuate the side of them that they want to. Because it's all in there, I Well, think. that's probably true because, you know, I'm actually one of those extrovert introverts. Yeah. I really value my alone time. Like, yeah. Like, really. And I live alone, and I don't, I'm never, lo I am never lonely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have so many hobbies, and I can, if I'm lonely, I have a million ways I can reach out to people. Yeah. Whether it's just go on Ravelry, or go on exactly. Facebook, or actually call a sister, or go over to one of my neighbor's houses. Right. Every once in a while, I will go get groceries, and then appear in my neighbor Christy's house, saying, you, I, you're going to make this for me for oh, dinner. God. I will oh. sit and amuse you while you dice and chop. That is so sweet. Well, she's a fantastic cook, and I'm oh, not, you know, so. Yeah, I know. That's lovely. Yeah, well, you know, we all have our uh, our things. But I I think, you know, finding the balance for me between yeah. being an introvert and an extrovert is has been a lifelong challenge, and I'm, I think I found it finally. And I think there's a freedom now for us to revel in what we're good at and not denigrate ourselves for what we're not good at. Because, you know, everyone can't be good at everything. And it's, it's fine. True. It, it's fine to say, I'm not the, I'm not the greatest cook. Yeah, but I really love to knit. You know, I myself, I am not a gardener. Every time I try to garden anything, the plants actually get up and walk over to the neighbor's yard because they are like, "Get us away from this woman." I, I, the other, I was at one of like Home Depot or one of those places a while ago, and they had these beautiful. Um, oh, my memory! No, um, what are the the flowers that are purple and they stand up like this? Uh, she looks. She's doing a T Rex arm. Um, <laughs> Is it uh, iris, lily? No, it's, uh, it's something it's that everybody orchid. grows. Orchid, of course. Oh, orchid. Okay. Thank you. My God, I could not. You know, it's like I have aphasia all of a sudden. I'm like, I can describe it, and I can't. And we need to go in the twenty-one thousand dollar pyramid. That's right. That's right. And and somebody said, oh, you just put an ice cube on it every week, and it melts, and that gives it enough water. And, and then that thing was dead within like four minutes. I, they, it comes into my house, and it goes, oh, we're at her house. We might as well just die now and get it over. Just die now and get it over with. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, they're so easy. You just, yeah, okay. Yeah, that I'm, poor orchid has but, many brethren that have marched through my house. But, you know, I did. I, it came in this cute little planter, and it had the little, you know, the little hair clips to hold it to its stalks. Yeah. And I went to one of those cheesy places, and I bought a fake one with big leaves, and I put it in there. And, man, that thing looks good. I have not killed it yet. You put an ice cube in it every week? I don't. You need to do that. I don't know, even. Cause... I could give it an ice cube, I suppose. <laughs> you, it could be like your training. You know, you could just, you get used to it. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. It's just not even. It's just not even fair. But yeah, I have a black thumb, not a green thumb. Oh my god! But um, I just discovered. Have you ever heard of a cookbook or a cooking regime called Fug Kitchen? No, I, I just found this cookbook. So, <laughs> for people who do not like uh, snotty language, this, these are not the cookbooks for you. One of them is called "Cook Like You Give a Fuck," <laughs> and the other one is called "Fast as Fuck." And they're vegetarian cookbooks, and they are amazing. And but they have like lots of flavor. And I'm not, yeah. not a vegetarian, but I am always looking for ways to get more yeah. vegetables into my life. And exactly. if a recipe says quick and easy, I'll give it a shot because yeah. I'm a quick and easy cook. It's got to be quick and easy. And so um, the first recipe I made is called fried rice, and it's actually barley that you pre-cook, and then you kind of walk fry the barley with some. Um, you know, oil and uh -huh. garlic and things. And then right. you put in shredded carrots and, and frozen peas and everything like you would fry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can almost, and then you put on like a little soy sauce and stuff. And it's like, 
it's just really good for you, but it's, yeah. It's so, so delicious. It's, it's delicious, and oh I actually goodness. made it all by myself. Oh, look at you. Did you take a plate of it over to your friend and say, look what I made? No, I took a picture <laughs> of it and sent it to her saying, you know, every once too. in a while I hit it out of the park. <laughs> Well, recently, I broke down and I bought one of those Instant Pots. Oh, I just bought an Instant Pot, too. Oh, my God! And what have you made in it? Okay, this is what I make. I'm not going to say once a week, but I guess it's once a week. Yeah. I take a package of frozen meatballs that I made myself because I really like like, a lot of fennel and stuff in meatballs. Oh, nice. I like them really Italian-y. So I, I make I get like four pounds and I make them and then I freeze them in right. little bags and right. I and I par cook them. Listen to me, I'm yeah. not even a cook and I do this. Oh, look at you! I know you par cook them. Well, because you want the oil, you don't want the grease in the instant pot, right? So you no, throwing, exactly, you don't. Yeah. yeah. So I take a package of those frozen meatballs and I shove them in the instant pot, and then I take a package of Hy-Vee has spaghetti that is in it's called pot sized, oh. so it's half length spaghetti. Oh. So I take a pound or 12 ounce whatever they call it, a pound now <laughs> a package of that and stick it in and you kind of mix them up so it looks like wild hair you don't want them all laying per- perpendicular and then you put in a great big jar of like prego or paul newman right, or whatever right and then another jar of water and then you put the lid on and i also put in some sliced fennel or sliced onion sometimes yeah and then you set it for five minutes oh and goodness. then you go away and 20 minutes later 30 minutes After later you come back and you have gone. the most fantastic spaghetti and meatballs and if you live alone you have spaghetti and meatballs for the week you amazing. can eat it like once a day for like a week amazing uh, it's so good and so what's your favorite thing to make my my favorite thing and it's just a simple thing my favorite thing is the oatmeal i make oatmeal almost every day because i love perfect, it it's perfect it's it's actual porridge it, it actually tastes like good european porridge it's just delicious i well i do this deal cut you know yep. and it's delicious and i also do a um a, a pork that is browned in it, and then you cook it, and then when it's done, you take a cabbage and you cut it into six pieces, and you put it in the leftover juice from the pork, and you put that in for like three minutes, and it is so delicious. With it ginger? Is... Do you do that with ginger? No, I didn't put any ginger. See, pork in. and cabbage and ginger is one of the one of the recipes I found for instant pot that's really good. I'm kind of a super taster, so I have to be really sensitive. I I, I am very sensitive with. Anything that can be too spicy, and ginger is one of those things. Like a little ginger is great. Ginger can set me off. I, I do, when I eat a salad, for instance, I can never have them put the salad dressing on because I barely put any on because there's something about the oil in it that really just brings all of the peppers all through my mouth, and then I can taste it for days. And it oh burns gosh. and it hurts. And if I drink water, it, it yeah, just water sends, is not good with oil. <laughs> it just sends it all the way through my mouth. I have to drink milk, and it's oh, it's bad news. So. I've, I've always known I was really, really sensitive, and it's just in the last 10 years, I was like, I am a super taster, and there's like, you can put things on your tongue and figure it out, and I am. Wow. I can taste anything. That's amazing. I can't even imagine that, because I'm just like, I, you know, I have flavors that I love, and more is always better. Like, ginger, you can't put enough ginger. Garlic, you can't put oh enough garlic God. in well, that that's pot why, That's why porridge is my favorite food. <laughs> The blander, the better. I know it's terrible. I mean, my favorite, favorite dessert cake. I, I make. I like to bake. I love to bake, and I'm gluten free. So a lot of the gluten free cakes and stuff, if you buy them, yeah. I mean, they try really hard. They really do. But the problem is, they try to like check every box at once. So like, I have a, a muffin in there that's gluten free, and it's like gluten free, wheat free, soy free, dairy free. It's all the freeze. Um, and by the time you eat it, it's nothing. You it's, know, but it really is like regurgitated regurgitated cardboard. It, it's ridiculous. So 
I can have dairy and I can have eggs, so I want to have a good piece of cake, you know. So I do a lot of baking. And of course, I, make, I love chocolate cake. I make a good one. But my favorite, favorite cake is just like a plain, you know, pound cake, Madeira cake. But I put, um, oh, what's the uh, uh, spice? And it starts with C. Cardamom? Cardamom. I put a ton of cardamom in it. Because cardamom, it, I can it's take mild. it. It's mild. It's mild. And so a lot just, it, it intensifies the flavor, but it doesn't overpower. Right. And then I use the elderflower um, syrup from Ikea. Oh. And it makes the best cake. See, Ikea is another reason to move to Minneapolis. Oh, my God. I have to drive to Chicago to get no, to Ikea. No, no way. We have no Ikea anywhere near oh. us in Wisconsin. It's, it's, the, it's the worst thing that ever happened to a person. The I worst thing. Yeah, it is. It is. That is first world problems. <laughs> That's is. a shame. That's a shame. Oh. No, I, I, I love Ikea. I love, love it. So tell me, how did you get all hooked up in the knit circus thing? Um... I don't have any idea, actually. So, <laughs> so Jala, um, who is my boss, and she's just the most amazing, wonderful, mm-hmm. loving, caring person. She's just, I, I can't say enough wonderful things about her. She's, she's just one of those people that would give you the shirt off her back, and then if you needed skin, she'd give you that, too. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, wonderful. And originally she started a magazine called Knit Circus. Right. That was, it was she and her partner was a vet, a veterinarian. Uh-huh. And who then found that being, running a magazine and being a veterinarian was too much, and so she had to kind of back out. So then Jala took Knit Circus, and it started out, it was um, like three rings of crafting fun. So it was knitting and sewing and, I don't even remember, but it was, it, it was. It was like, online, wasn't it? It, we went online for a while. Yeah. It started out like full size eight and a half by eleven hard copy. Really? Yeah, and and kind of put together like three hole punch and then rubber bands yeah. and a knitting needle. Yeah. No, it wasn't a knitting needle, that was some other book. But <laughs> but very um but really, really wonderful and artistic and inventive and creative and and so then she just decided to focus on knitting and she did a hard copy knitting magazine that was remarkably successful for the the little tiny network that we had. Yeah. And I was kind of a tech editor for her for a while. And then she asked me if I would like to do a podcast. And we're on episode like 99. Oh, my goodness. We've done a lot of podcasts. And we just talk like this. We just sit and talk Crazy about nothing talk. and then turn off the mic and publish it. And people seem to like it. Crazy talk. Crazy, Crazy talk. talk. Um, but, you know, we talk about knitting, but we talk about TV shows. And we talk about, yeah. you know, Pantone color of the year and whatever. Just oh, whatever pops Lord. in. I know. Stop telling me what I need to like. I know, exactly. Oh, right? my God. I only like the Pantone color of the year when it agrees with me. Oh, my God. That just makes me crazy. It's like, who is staying up late and throwing darts at what board to figure out what color we all have to wear next year? I know. Didn't that die in the 90s? I mean, yeah. are we not? We're not slaves to fashion Remember when anymore. we used to do our color? Have your season yes, done? Yeah. I do. And I no. remember when we used to actually read a magazine and decide that we were going to make our hemlines a certain length because that was the hemline length. Oh, goodness. I know. What a sad, sad life. Aren't we adorable? We have never lived in a better time for clothing because anyone of any um, um, socioeconomic class, and I'm speaking of people that have the freedom to dress as they want, there are people in the world who cannot dress as they want to for whatever reasons. But millions of reasons. Yeah, millions of reasons. But within anywhere in the world where you're free to wear what you want to wear, any woman of any socioeconomic class can wear any length of skirt. This has never been true before in the history of civilization. That is an amazing you're thing. You're right. It is. It's, it's amazing. an amazing thing. Skirt lengths were determined by your class and by what you did and who your parents were and all kinds of crap. Well, you know, you are a woman of a certain size, as am I. <laughs> 
and I am. I have you ever heard of this website called Ishakti? I have, yes. Holy cow! I have, yes. And it's I, a miracle. Okay. It's a miracle. So you put in your. I'm, I'm wearing Ishakti right now. This is a hoodie. I love that. But I wanted it. I wanted it long enough to wear with leggings. And when you're six feet tall. Yeah. The only thing that's long enough to wear with leggings is a dress. There are no tunics that don't show your butt. I mean, your butt is hanging out in the tunic because yes. you're six feet tall. And so it's just a hoodie. And, but um, I talked about in the podcast about how hard it was to find pocket dresses with pockets. Right. And this woman who listened to our podcast wrote to me and said, oh, you should try Ishakti because you put in your measurements and you pick out your outf- an outfit or a dress or whatever, and then they have all these options. You can change the sleeve length. Like, like a lot of the things the dresses on there are sleeveless, and I'm like, yeah, I have really big arms. I don't want to do sleeveless. Yeah. Well, you just add sleeves. You just oh, click the nice. box to add three-quarter sleeves or full-length sleeves or whatever. Oh, my God. And pockets or no pockets you choose, and you can choose necklines on a lot of them. You can choose um, hem length. Right. And you put in your measurements, and you order a court, and they cut everything according to your height and measurements. I know I've gone to the website. I didn't order anything. I sew for myself a lot. Yeah, well, so then I you sew my need, own dresses yeah. and all that. And then if I if I'm not wearing a dress, I'm wearing like yoga pants and a t-shirt. Yep. And if I'm not wearing this, then I'm wearing clothes that I'm dying in. <laughs> <laughs> with dying with an e, we always say dying with an e. Dying and with I'm an just e. I I basically I wear shorts until November, and then I wear long pants until March, and then I'm back in shorts again. Well, I'm one of those people that has totally sucked into the ridiculous, colorful leggings phases. Good for you. <laughs> well, they're just fun, and I... They, they're I, lovely. They're, they're just... I love them. And I, there's, there's this style that's going around called Toddler Granny. Oh, my God, that is so fabulous. I know. And that's, that's... There it is. I want all of my clothes to be comfortable enough to sleep in. I agree. I feel the same way. And yep. I, my new thing is linen. I'm crazy. I love linen. I I've love always linen, loved too. Linen. And so I just really love, like, a big pair of linen pants and a linen kind of smocky kind of thing. That's that's the look I want to have for the rest of my life. Well, I should... I'll bring down some time when you're up. I think you're up for me. Um, I have a couple linen smocks from a place in England called Tall Yarns, Tall... I think it's just tall yarns, not tall yarns. It's just tall yarns. And they make these amazing linen smocks, and one is really? called the weaver's smock, one is the spinner's smock. And, oh, my. And I wear them. They're, they're linen, and I wear the hell out of them. And so you could, as a seamstress, yeah. you could uh, copy the lines. figure out what's going on, yeah. Yeah, because they're very, very, very wonderful. And they have these giant pockets. The, I love pockets. The pockets on the sides are so big, I always wear one when I travel, because the pockets are big enough that, like, my iPad mini goes in them. Oh, my goodness. So you don't have to carry on luggage. You're wearing your... Well, <laughs> you wear a lot. And, and they're long, so, like, like my passport, I always put in my pants pocket underneath the smock, so nobody right. can get it off me because it's right. underneath, the, but it's easily accessible. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's, uh, I love linen, too, and I have a lot of flax. I have, oh, you know, the brand linen. flax. I have a lot of that brand. Yep, yep, yep. I, um, just because of finances and things with my husband and stuff the last couple of years I just I tend not to buy you know clothes a lot unless I'm like going to Goodwill because you get great stuff oh you do girl. and and I and then I sew my own stuff a lot so you know you when you got kids to clothe you'd rather get them looking nice than yeah <laughs> well my one sister is a fabulous seamstress and she has um, threatened to make me some dresses because nice. I'm always complaining about not long enough and pockets and Hello. stuff. Hello, so. exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah, I have my bicycle dress. I have to sew it up because it got a hole in it and I cannot stand... Oh, here it is. Bicycle. It's this big dress. It's not, actually not that big, but it's... Oh, it's a great dress. It's just 
That is adorable it's fabric, too. It's just a basic too. A-line dress. It's a knit fabric, and it's... um. And it's got bicycles all over it, and I got a hole in it, so I have to sew that up because I love it too much. Yeah. And I bring it with my bicycle when I travel, so I can ride my bike in my bicycle dress. You, you and your bicycle, toddler granny. (laughs) I love love that quite a bit. So, so, um, if you would, I would love it if you talk a little bit about like your whole knitting journey before. Your sure. current iteration. Sure. So, because um, I mean, you're such a fixture in the knitting world. But you're kind of like the mystery fixture. You know? Oh, really? I'm yeah. mysterious. Well, yes. Oh gosh, I didn't know. Well, you're out there, but you're not. You're not like. How do I put so this? here's the thing: is I'm not an author and I'm not a designer. That's, That's why. it. That's yeah. exactly it. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm um, I'm a technician, and and I'm really not um, very adept at self promotion. Because I should have a YouTube channel that I'm that's very active, yeah. and I should have followers, and I should do a newsletter, and I've been told this by many people. And I'm really not much of a designer. If somebody says you should design a boomerang shawl, the first thing I do is look on Ravelry, and I find 42 boomerang shawls that I want to knit. I agree. I feel exactly the Why same way. Why on earth would I try and invent and something new? what you should do is what you feel like doing. Yeah. You know, if you want to have a YouTube channel, do it. But if you do it because someone says you should do it, you can tell. You look at those, you're like, oh, that person's doing it because they were told by everyone, you should do that. Yep. you got to do what you're passionate about. Not, no, and you know, I, I do YouTube Which you videos. do, I'm not. I, well, I do YouTube videos sometimes. Yeah. But it's, it's to go along with a pattern or the, right. that we're promoting with Knit Circus or something. I mean, somebody has to prompt me to do it. You but I also I've... did a couple craftsy classes, and that was a, just a gas. I uh-huh. have had, I never had so much fun in my life. Oh, that's excellent. And I've been... So unbelievably lucky, yeah, to have things fall into place for me the way they have, but um, but not everybody can expect that kind of luck. That's... Well, it's partly luck, and I think it's partly making yourself open to those things. Maybe. You know, I mean, I I never discount luck. Luck is a wonderful thing, and when it happens to you, it's great. But you have to be open to the luck. Well, I owe absolutely everything to Meg Swanson because when I started going to her knitting camp, I was a, I was a. A good knitter. I was yeah. I was very interested in knitting. I had right. a lot of questions, but I was nothing, you know, I was not a fabulous technician or, you know, and I just, I, I felt like I had finally found my place. Oh, but to, to be with somebody who was as, I, and I, I don't even mean meticulous, just, um, I just want to know yeah. the best. I don't necessarily do it, but I want to know the most perfect way to do this cast on and why it works and what makes it good and what makes it elastic or not elastic and what you know right, right, right. I, I want to know all that and Meg Swanson knew it all and what she didn't know she's learned since and, yeah. and disseminated so yeah. um, she's really been and she's she's been my mentor in a, in a lot of different ways she's really put put you know she put me on the map she got me my job at Stitches yeah. way back when my job at XRX and right. um, which means I can blame her for when it all fell apart good for you <laughs> no I don't blame her a bit trust me um, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, they, they say do what you love and the money will follow. Well, when I worked in corporate yeah. America, I worked for Dayton Hudson Corporation and yeah. I was making 78 or $80,000 a year. And so I support myself now as knitting, but boy, not in the way that I, not no. in the same manner that I exactly. used to. And I decided being poor was plenty okay for my mental health. Yeah. If I could do what I love and be surrounded by people that are like-minded. Yeah. 
and I didn't have to take a bus to work every day, and I didn't have to go to the 46th floor of well, the Multifoods Tower, you know. It was... I don't know about you, but I worked in corporate America also for quite a while, and um, when I first started knitting for a living, like it was in the 80s, I had been working at Time Inc., and I, this was like 1983, and I was just out of college, and I was making a huge amount of money for someone just out of college, and I was living the life, you know, living yep. in New York, and and at the end of a year of earning $40,000, I had saved maybe $500. Because I blew it all on, you know, going out and doing this and clothes. Well, sure, because it's the first time you've had real money. Well, it's big, yeah, and, but also I just I spent, 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 spent. And then the first year that I was working as a knit designer, you know, like designing and knitting for other people and knitting my stuff and all that, that was like 1986, and I made $14,000. And at the end of that year, I had more in savings than I did when I worked for a lot more money. And I realized it's because when you're happy, you don't feel like you need to go buy all this stuff to make you happy. That is very true. And so I would rather have a job that makes me happy, and it will actually be a money saver in the long run, yep. than having a job that makes me so miserable. I feel like I have to go out and buy a new dress or yeah, buy or a jewelry big for me. The big thing, like, uh, oh, I had a bad day at work. I'll go spend three hundred and seventy-five dollars on a pair of earrings. Oh you my know, God. and yeah, no, I I spent a lot of time cajoling myself into making it through the day. Yeah. And now I float through the days like a little princess. It's wonderful, isn't it? It, it really it's is. It's good and, to do something you love. And I have five jobs. I mean, I'm Meg Swanson's assistant at Knitting Camp. I'm the pro- special projects manager at yeah. the service. And um, I lead knitting tours to Scotland, Ireland, and England, oh. and Wales. And I haven't done England and Wales. We're planning them. And uh, Iceland. And I teach knitting for Vogue anytime I can and anywhere I can. Eh. I've only missed one Vogue ever. Uh-huh. And uh, so I teach knitting, you know, for other, other events too. But like I said, I'm really not much of a self-promoter, so I'm not very, you know, adamant about getting out there. And, and it's funny because I look at Patty Lyons, who is just go, 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 go. And yeah. I think I would hate knitting by now if I had to work that hard. <sighs> yeah, it's rough. That's... I was like that for a bit because I, when I felt when I the money pressure was really hard. I yeah. was doing that, and it, I didn't. That was at a point when I was beginning to feel that knitting was for me kind of what the corporate had been, and actually doing the dyeing was kind of me stepping back from that a bit, so I can justify spending more time at home, and when I go to shows like this, I feel like I have more of a reason to be there. Yep. You know, than just showing up and teaching. I, f- I feel like I have more of an investment in the shows, which I love. Yeah, which well, that makes me feel better about it. I mean, you just have to figure out ways to to do what you love and make money, and yeah. it's it's not always easy. But then I think of like um, you know Martina Baim, who is a <clears throat> German knitwear designer, and she does a lot of really, really seemingly simple but very effective use of texture and color and surprises and and she bought a house Uh with hitchhiker yes hitchhiker pattern she that bought her her family a very lovely place to live well not every pattern is going to be that but those patterns deserve to be her patterns are great but but it's it's fun to think that sometimes i mean that completely changed the course of her family's life yeah and it's fun to think that knitting can do that. And yeah. I'm, I'm one of those people who is always lecturing people about, if you see a pattern you like, just shut up and buy it. Exactly. Because patterns for five or six bucks, I mean, you spend that on a caramel macchiato whatever at Starbucks, and five or six bucks makes a difference 
to somebody selling patterns. You spend nine or ten bucks to go to the movies, and you have two hours of enjoyment. Right. You spend five bucks on a pattern, and you know, fifty bucks on the yarn. You know, when people will say, "Oh, I have to stop buying patterns because I don't," you know, I never knit them, and I'm like, "You don't have to knit them." You get inspiration from you them. You get inspiration from them, and you're 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 actually helping out a person who has spent countless yes. hours and knitting and writing the pattern and having it edited yeah. and you know and there are also five dollar patterns out there that have never been edited that's which true it's too bad that's but, a shame but they they get their reputation out there right away but yeah. the people who do patterns right with beautiful photography and and really good instructions and well thought out they deserve my six dollars or eight dollars or whatever yeah. if if it inspires me and you know, I have, I have now. I have Ravelry set up to go right to PayPal, where I use my fingerprint on yeah. my phone yep. to check out for me. So I don't have to type any pesky passwords. I can oh, just that's go, excellent. You know, click, click, click. I'd like that, and you touch it, and then you get it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just think there's no better way to support our industry than I agree. to 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 buy patterns from people that have inspired you. I agree. I, I heartily agree. No, we should we should do this all the time. Actually, there's no reason. Seriously, when I when you talk about moving to the Twin Cities, I'm like, yay! Well, I you know I just don't want to leave. I love my job so yes, much, and exactly. I you know I've been there almost since the beginning. So you so, need to get them to move to the Twin Cities. So you know the way I ended up working for Knit Circus is I went to do a podcast one day. It was like December nineteenth or something, and Jala and I had a standing appointment to do a podcast. And when I left, she said, oh. You know, we're really far behind on shipping. Is there any way you could just stay and ship, oh. help us ship some boxes? And oh. I have never left. That's really nice. Uh, That's well, excellent. I, you know, and I thought, I, it, this is out of my wheelhouse, yeah. shipping boxes, but I learned how. I'm good at it. I mean, yeah. there's nothing hard about it. And then I learned how to wind yarn, and then I learned how to do, you know, and yeah. it just being a part of something means a lot to me. And having that little family, a place to go where everybody knows your name. Yeah, you know, oh, I know, I know. I know, I feel the same way. Yeah. I feel the same way. And, like, for me, it's just, it's like, pay the mortgage, and we're able to employ someone, and it's pretty groovy. This has been lovely. I'm so glad. I'm so grateful to you for coming and having well, the time to if chat. There's, and, I mean, we have, a, we have a lot in common, you and I. We should I know, and it's not often. And it's not just hype. Thank you all for listening. Whoever's listening, thank you. It's I think four, really people, four people will listen to this Awesome. One, and they'll tell four friends. I hope so. so thank you. Thank you. been listening to the mode knit yarn podcast and we hope you enjoyed it the music in the show is manchester mystery by brett van donsel used with creative commons license sign up at itunes to hear all of our podcasts and you can visit our website at www.modeknityarn.com be sure to follow us on facebook on instagram and on twitter all using mode knit yarn copyright 2017